Hi, everyone. This is Too Young to Be Old podcast with me, your host, Diane Gilman. Each week, my guests and I will share insights, advice, and more than a few laughs to empower and inspire women over the age of 50 who really need to embrace the aging process. We want to encourage you to pursue your passions and dreams no matter what decade you're living. Too Young to Be Old podcast is intended to educate, empower, and foster connection with our community. Please note that this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice or care. So with that said, let's settle in, get comfortable, and let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Diane Gilman, better known as the Queen of Jeans for anybody that watched QVC or HSN for 30 years. But now, possibly a podcast queen. My podcast, Too Young to Be Old, is so thrilled today to have a guest where I feel we are sisters. We went through the same thing, stage four breast cancer, that roller coaster of diagnosis through treatment back to health again. We are survivors, but we are survivor thrivers because we came out the other end better, shinier, brighter, more joyous. And with all of that said, I want to introduce my guest, Jennifer Greenhut Tolan. Now, Jennifer and I were diagnosed close to the end of the year for 2017. We both went through treatment for about a year and a half. We could not, and here is the hook, come from more different places. It might as well have been Venus and Mars. Jennifer went online, met somebody, was planning a life with them, and marriage and children, and it was love, and and that is why her book, Everybody Needs a Larry, it's all about Larry and Jennifer's amazing romance and how love so helped carry her through. I, on the other hand, had a 10-year-plus casual boyfriend, okay, friends with benefits boyfriend, and the minute he heard the word cancer, he couldn't get through the door fast enough. So where Jennifer was coming from love and protection and a lot of positive plans for the future, I was like, completely rejected and feeling alone. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, they say the people that do the best, the people that survive are people with incredible family support and husband support. Well, I had no siblings ever. I no longer had a boyfriend and I had to turn around and make my sisterhood of my followers on television into my extended family. So Jennifer, I'm going to explain my diagnosis. Then I want to hear yours. Okay. So I had a huge lump in my breast and kept telling myself, oh, too busy. I'm flying to Paris. I'm flying to London. I'm flying to Rome. Da, da, da. Yeah, it's probably a calcium deposit. And one day a friend who was a doctor I went to see him and he said, look, this isn't my specialty. It happened to be Christmas Eve, but I'm sending you to an imaging center. I go to the imaging center. I get the sonogram. I'm sitting and it was jammed on Christmas Eve, pathetically enough. 
And I'm sitting in this little, tiny, lightless, airless room. That's all they had for me. 15 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. And I thought, you know, maybe there's nothing to say. Yeah. So they're just not, you know, I'm just going to go. And suddenly a woman comes rushing in and says, I bet you wonder why this took so long. And I thought, okay, yeah, share, tell me. She said, because you've got cancer everywhere. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. You've got it everywhere. That's my diagnosis. And then when I went to get dressed, better yet, every dressing room was taken. I had to get undressed and dressed right out in an open hallway. And I felt about that big. I felt about a sixteenth of an inch tall. I felt like, yeah, of course there's no dressing room for me. I've got cancer that can't be fixed. Why would I need a dressing room? Tell me about your diagnosis. Very similar as to, I was not expecting it at all. I was a very healthy yoga teacher, newlywed woman trying to have a baby. I had had every checkup every year that I was supposed to have. So I had my yearly. Wow. I had my gynecologist checkup. My mammogram had been in July of that year that I was diagnosed. And I just noticed when I was doing yoga, I was doing like an upward facing dog and I felt this lump in my arm and I thought it was like a fatty cyst. Okay. It's an annoying thing. I'm going to have to probably get it removed. So I go to the doctor and he gives me like these four horrible case situations, but he sends me to Uh. an and within a week I was diagnosed with stage four triple negative breast cancer, which is the most aggressive type of breast cancer you can get. But from having all of my checkups being cleared, it was the last thing I was even contemplating. And so I just thought like nothing made sense anymore. My life was over and I'm just going to die and there's no meaning to anything. I was in a total state of shock. And I remember calling the guy, the doctor, Um, who had done a small female surgery on me several years earlier and and told me to go get the sonogram. I remember calling him Christmas Eve, and I didn't even want to bother the guy. And I said, look, it's hopeless. So what do people like me do now? I've got to go check my will, my last will and testament. And he said, don't be ridiculous, Diane. It's 2017. (laughs) Nothing is hopeless. I've got someone you've got to meet. I've got to get off. I must get off the phone right now. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's right. It's Christmas Eve. Nobody wants to talk to me. They're all busy with their families. He said, no, no, no. I've got about five minutes of cell time left. I've got to call the head of cancer, breast cancer surgery at Mount Sinai. She's my best friend. You're getting in. Okay. He sails off out of the harbor. No more him. Then... About seven minutes later, I get a text. Hi, I'm Alyssa Port, breast cancer surgeon. I'll meet you at Mount Sinai, January 5th, whatever it was, 8.45 in the morning. I'll be landing from Marrakesh and coming straight to Mount Sinai. So I like her already. She's dramatic. We get there. I get there. Mm -hmm. She's there. I knew that she had written four best-selling books on navigating breast cancer and breast cancer surgery. So I already had a lot of respect for her. She looks me up and down. She says, hmm, well, if I have to say, you look like a completely 
healthy person with a localized disease in a part of your body you don't need if we have to take it away. And I thought, right on, sister. Like, that's it. You speak my language. Next thing she said was, I know you, Diane. I've seen you on TV. Women like you always do well. Why? Because you've worked, pardon me, audience. You've worked your ass off all your life, and this is just another job. So that was how I took it. Saving my life was going to be my job. How about you? That's I I was a gymnast as a kid and I was training for the Olympics and I was super like vision. I have a goal. So I was always very driven with goals and I felt that with cancer yeah. I was training for my life back and part of leaving in the possibility was a huge thing but also just understanding I really wanted to live. I did not want to die. How I was old, for how sure. How old were you, Jennifer? Uh, knowing that. How old were you? I do think you? some people do this. I was 47 when I was diagnosed. I was 47. But what, what turned my whole journey into something uh, very spiritual, I like to think, is when, when I was married, we were trying to have a baby and going through a lot of rounds of IVF. And I was getting very, very depressed because I wasn't getting pregnant. And I wasn't having the family of my dreams that I was preparing my entire life for. And all of a sudden, I'm now diagnosed with stage yeah. four cancer, like hit the girl when she's down. You know, just get her out. She's not having a kid. She has no purpose. Just kill her off. And then when I met my oncologist, who I decided to pick at UCLA, he told me if I had gotten pregnant, the pregnancy would have killed me. And in that moment, I saw cancer as saving my life. I saw everything in my life, all my mistakes, all of my tragedies, all of my bad choices. They put me in this place where this was meant to happen. And this is evolving my soul in some way. And this is a gift. And all I have to do is go through this journey and be open and curious to all the gifts that I'm going to learn, all the lessons I'm going to learn. And as soon as I embraced it with kind of a love and a desire to learn, it was like smooth sailing the entire time. Yes, it was super hard, but I just chose to look at all the good things and not all the bad things. And I realized there's a choice. There's a choice. You have the ability to choose bad or you have the ability to choose good. And I just decided to eat it the right. good stuff. Here's the person And the I good thought. stuff kept getting better. Yeah. I intrinsically believed I was going to live. I said to myself, my body has always responded. If I do get to the point where I'm going to have that double mastectomy, that will be the first time ever that I've been in a hospital in 70 two years on earth. So I felt preeminently I had um, Mm -hmm. whatever my genetics were, they were excellent for fighting back. And then the first time I went to chemo, and you and I are going to talk about the night before chemo, like some people would talk about the night before Christmas. So when I went to um, for my first chemo, (laughs) I had never gone with anybody else to a treatment. I had no idea what it was like. But I saw how intensely pressurized those nurses were. What a pressure cooker it was. We all had private rooms to have our chemo in. But every single time I went, somebody went into cardiac arrest. 
somebody had an allergic, uh, yeah, overdose of whatever they oh, were wow. getting, and it was 8,000 people and mm. resuscitation, and, and I just thought, okay, you have two choices. Either you're going to add to their problems, oh, wow. and they're going to dread seeing you. Are you going to be the grumpy old lady, or are you going to be that shining, bright older woman who is always cheerful and brings them cookies and says how happy she is to see all of them and thank you and what and that's what I decided to do and mine was almost again like a work strategy like how was this going to work the best to get the best results my feeling was if I remained optimistic I honestly believed that if I laughed and smiled every day Somehow my blood vessels would remain open and take the medicine through them more easily, where if you're uptight and you're so sad, everything's, you know, sort of restricted and it won't get through. So as crazy as that sounds. And so let's talk. Really? Oh, my God. I completely agree. I agree. But let me, my one difference is I also felt that I wasn't going to die. However, in the back of my head, what do I know? I didn't think I was going to get stage four cancer. So I knew that I also didn't know the future. And so I also knew if I was going to die, I didn't want the next couple of years to be miserable. I wanted them to be the best years of my life. And in order to make that happen, I had to make every day like a happy day, be grateful of everything and look at everything in a positive light. So I think that was such a huge lesson because we can make our lives, you know, not our couple years, but our entire life, a positive or negative experience just by leaning into those things that are make us happy, those things that bring us joy, those things we have. But uh, just as far as the chemo thing, I said a prayer every round before chemo. Um, Grateful. Grateful for the ability to receive chemo. That medicine has come this far that has chemo that's able to take care of stage four cancer. I surrendered. I opened my body, kind of like what you were saying. And I let it yeah, I, I opened up to receiving yeah. chemo like it was medicine yeah. that was saving my life, which that's what it was. It was that. It wasn't poison. I never so many women like to think, oh, it's poison, way. it's killing I me, this and that. I never thought about it that way. And as a matter of fact, um, on television, I had, uh, and I did not choose my models, and the TV network chose them, but a group of these models were very... Um, almost extremely extreme evangelicals. And they had beliefs like if you went to the Philippines, you go to a healer and he just reaches in and pulls out the cancer. So they were so against me getting chemo and it's hard enough to convince yourself to get chemo that when I left after saying goodbye to my audience, I'll see you in a year. I've got a new job that's saving my life. Um, I went out in the parking lot to drive back to the hotel. They took their cars and blocked the exit to the parking lot. And they were crying and screaming and pulling their hair out and doing everything they could to convince me that chemo was evil. I mean, it was almost biblical. It was almost like some kind of test. 
And, you know, I thought to myself, really? Yeah. Really? I had a hard enough time talking myself into chemo. Now I have to talk other people into it. So at that point, I made a vow to myself. There were people I, were, I was going to have to let go. If you pitied me, if you had that look in mm -hmm. your eye of, oh, yeah, I'll tell her everything's going to be okay, but I know she's a dead person already. I couldn't have you in my life. If you were trying to derail me from what it was so hard to focus on, which was, oh, yeah, chemo's going to be a walk in the park, you had to be out of my life. I had only enough strength to take care of myself and an immediate amount of people and happenings around me. So I noticed the subtitle in your book, and I'm going to say, The Night Before Chemo. For me, two things. Number one, I gave myself a pep talk, and I said, you know, Diane, your whole life you've said, I'm not good enough, I'm not a good enough artist, I should have done this this way, I should have done this that way. I should be different. I should be more famous by now. I should, I would, I could, da, 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 da. I said, okay, Diane, this isn't a dress rehearsal anymore. This is the real deal. It can't get more real. And if you are not the yeah. very best of you going into this, you're not going to win. You, you must get the best results by being the best you you can be to receive them. So I go to sleep and I have an incredible dream. Can't even believe I could get to sleep. Here's the dream. I'm driving down a country road. It's got incredible, it's not paved, it's very rocky and it's wilderness, sort of desert wilderness on both sides. And I'm in my very favorite car of my entire life, my little beige BW bug. I love the car so much. Suddenly, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. I hit something. I look up. It is a giant, completely perpendicular mountain that ends in a needle point. I think to myself in my dream, I, I, I've got to get around this. I need to be on the other side. I must be. Back up the car, gun it. Go up a little bit, slide down. Go up, slide down. Go up, slide down. At which point, I get out of that little VW bug, I turn into a giant, I grow into like the 50-foot woman, and the mountain becomes a sharp pebble under my feet, and I just walk over it. And I realize there's how you have to take cancer and everything else that comes your way from now on. You have to become bigger than the situation and see the overview of what it is. Don't be a little ant in the grass and mm -hmm. think the grass is a forest. Be a giant mm -hmm. and see the whole picture and make an assessment. Okay, you have a chapter in your book about night before chemo. What's your night before chemo? Yes, my, my night was, and like you, like I didn't sleep the night before and I didn't sleep the night after chemo because of all the drugs and the steroids that I was on. So I did a lot of writing. I wrote, I, I, I remember specifically writing in my journal I don't know what being huh. a sick person is. I don't know how I'm going to what I'm going to turn into with chemo. Like, what is this going to do to my body? I had no idea. I was a little nervous about like turning into somebody that I wasn't. I was very curious 
what I was going to feel like. I was curious at how people were going to act around me with being having no hair. I was just curious and also like, how bad can it be? I'm going to trust. I really trusted my team of doctors so much that I was in their hands and, and following their treatment. And I was going to just take it day by day by day and just believe that this is something that is just going to save my life. And so that's how I went into it. And I re- when going through treatment, it wasn't as bad as everybody. I think when you, I think when you think about it and you don't know what it's like, it's the worst case scenario. But I went through treatment. I, I kept living. I kept seeing my friends. I, I kept working. You know, there were days that I felt horrible and I just used those days to take care of myself. It was me resetting everything. It was me being able to take care of myself and, and really just love myself because as women, we're so give, 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 give. And I think with chemo, I used it. It was an excuse to just receive, receive support, love, just attention that I needed to give myself. So if I was tired, I would take a nap. I never took naps before, but I allowed myself just to experience what I was experiencing without judgment and just take it day by day. I was amazed. I went on air uh, to say goodbye to the audience, and it's not my network. Unfortunately, I don't own this TV network, QVCHSN. So there was a lot of debate about what to say, maybe don't say anything, just disappear for a year. There were some great ideas out there and some not so great ideas. But mm-hmm. um, I had to see my audience, which was at that point, at the height of my career, almost 700,000 women strong. I had to see them as my family, my extended family. And uh, so, yeah. you know, I said, it's not goodbye. It's just au revoir for a little while. And I'm there to save my life. That's my new job. Mm-hmm. And I'll be back. And I, I'll, and I got back sooner than I ever thought I would. But um, the next day, I flew home. And I give it a pretty heartfelt speech. I'm not a weeper. I'm not a crier. So it wasn't going to break down on air. And I told no one around me to cry. I said, I, if I start crying, I'm going to be the Mississippi River. So I'm not going to cry at all. And the next day I asked my assistant, Nina, who you met pre-podcast, and um, I said, so did anybody respond to my speech? It was about a day and a half later. And she said, oh, yeah, like 135. And I said, 135 people? Well, I don't know. I'm, I don't understand social media. Is that good? And she said, no, Diane, 135,000 women wished you well gave you love and you know jennifer and and i say this because you and i both came out of this with a much more expanded spiritual yeah entity active inside of us i felt like those 135,000 women like i was their baby and they were holding me and rocking me yeah. yes yeah. yes arms and they were yes. holding you up yeah That's and that was everything and I felt you. that way for about eight nine months afterwards until the whole treatment was done it was the most oh my god I can't believe I'm meeting somebody else that actually 
had the same feeling because usually I tell people and they look at me like, oh, yeah, really? But it was physical. Yeah, I so felt everything physically, like just being held up. And I know I was such a strong person before. I never really allowed myself to be held up. Yeah. And now I was like forced in a way, but it was like a muscle. I, I knew I could trust and surrender, whether it was my doctors or my family or my husband or my friends, everyone. Oh, came, yeah. And it filled me with so much love. And, and, and again, something that I just took for granted. And I was like, wow, I have so much. How could I have been depressed? You know, and I know like, you know, I was, I was depressed for certain reasons, but like, there's always something amazing in life to look forward to. That was one of the most visceral experiences of that, that side of your life that you know exists, that spiritual side, that side where you know you've got a soul and you know there's all kinds of energies and forces working around you. And to be able to translate that into the physical and say to myself, oh my God, this is for real. I felt like a baby in like warm cashmere flannel swaddling and I was being rocked. And you know what? The bond was amazing. Yeah. Of course. And now, now that it's in me, also it's in you, I know that I'm always being supported and held up. Not because I have cancer. It's just like an ingrained now muscle. Like I don't ever feel alone. I feel we are all here as family oh, totally. members and we're all pieces of God in some way. And we're parts of God. God is part of us. So we just need to tap into that soul quality that is in all of us. Wow. And I think we're all healers. I, I cannot all healers. believe that we found you and that all of this, um, so many feelings that I had and experiences that other people look at me and, and who have not had this or, you know, I will sit at the table with women and at least 60% of those women have had breast cancer and I haven't met one person besides you and I who said it was really a good experience. I felt, yeah. and this is going to be my last thing to say, been, then I got to give you your last question. This went by with two seconds, like, wow. Um, I felt elevated. I felt inspired. I felt I had touched God in some way. I felt that specific kind of amazing energy. Um, like if you ever have held anyone in your arms who's passed on while you're holding them, you feel like, you're in a different spiritual place for a very long time afterwards. It's very, very elevated yeah. and very, very clean and bright and real. If you had to leave the audience with one thing you could say to women who are sitting here listening to us and are thinking they're about to get that diagnosis or they just got that diagnosis or someone near to them in their family or their friendship circle got it. What would be the one thing you could leave for them that you think would be the most valuable thing they could, uh, I don't know, absorb and, and work on or activate? Well, 
technically speaking, get a couple opinions for oncologists and go with somebody that you completely 100% trust your life in their hands. So you don't have to question their treatment. Then stay open to the possibility that this is a possible gift for you to make your life better. And to how strong you are, how much love you are, how much of a healer you are, how much you are able to learn about who you are deep down with this experience. It's being given to you. And I truly believe when I was given the stage four diagnosis and I was cancer free in four months, I felt I was given this lesson to share, which is why I started a company to spread love and give back to cancer research. I was given this whole story I lived by to share to other people because everyone can write their happy ending just by how they think in their head. You know, it totally changed my life. It brought out a side of me that I don't ever think would have been activated. But when you almost lose something that's irreplaceable, your life You have the opportunity to change. And when we understand how to drive our seat, then we want to know how to drive. We don't want to be the victim and complain and bitch and, you know, just blame it on everything else. Like, no, we are the ones that are co-creating with this huge life. And what I understood from all of that is that when I came to get chemo, and when I came to get radiation afterwards, yeah. I always made sure I lit up the place. I always made sure I had a kind word to say for everybody and let them know how happy I was to be there, how what a great job they were doing. If I, if I saw a woman every time who had terrible fear, you could just feel it emanating from her. I wanted to sit down and comfort her and tell her it was okay. Believe it. Believe it or not, that is not the persona of yeah. a New York, Beverly Hills, L.A. fashion designer. But it completely, I would say, cancer burned away all the bad, the way you put alcohol into a recipe and then light it on fire. And what was left was just the deliciousness of life and the fact that I saw a new talent in myself, which was for lighting people up and helping them and and being the bridge over troubled waters to get them through. And what a privilege, my word. I, I agree with the same thing. I felt like the chemo was taking all the negative cells out of my body, cleaning me out, setting me up with a whole healthy, new, fresh, Outlook, body, you know, I've never felt better than ever. Chemo has its perks. It doesn't mean you have to enjoy every second of chemo. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to love throwing up or love feeling nauseous or love feeling fatigue, but it means you are understanding that this is a chapter, a short chapter, and you can get through it being happy. So why not be happy? And, and you know, that was the other thing. And then I've really got to get this, got to get the goodbye going here. It's a good and goodbye when it's you and me talking. But um, I, I not only felt cleansed, I felt rejuvenated. And I felt that I'd been given another chance at life. And I recognize the preciousness of it. And there is not a morning I get up that I don't say, God, I love my life. I'm so lucky. I feel so good. 
I'm so happy. There is not a morning that that I will not a morning I'm for not me. I'm not gonna and waste bad day. I just say at least I'm alive. You know, a bad day's not that bad when you're alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when and you know, I I think I I will not allow myself to have a depressed moment. I will not allow myself to waste one precious what? minute on earth in this physical life not doing something beautiful, creating something beautiful, helping somebody, making them laugh, making them feel good. That feels so good to me. So I, I honestly owe cancer a lot. And I never, I always saw it as an encapsulated period of my life, not my entire life, just an incident, a big rock along the rocky road of life. That you could get over and around. Well, this has been a privilege. I wish we had about 2,000 more hours to talk. I thank you so very much. Wow. We're sisterhood. Totally. I know. We had similar journeys and such different beginnings. You know, so many people say what cancer takes away from them. And for me, cancer just gave me so much. So many things. Yeah, cancer gave me the opportunity yes. to mm-hmm. make my life shine again. Yep. Jennifer, I can't thank you enough. Where can people find you? So uh, the company I started from Triple Negative Cancer is called Zero Negative. And the website is shopzeronegative.com. And our mission is spreading love through accessories that get back to cancer research and at UCLA. which is where accessories are... Gorgeous, ladies. I mean, drop-dead, creative, aspirational masterpieces. I'm not kidding. Just getting started. And uh, I wrote a book with my husband called Everyone Needs a Larry. And it's basically, if you ever saw the movie When Harry Met Sally, it's when Harry met Sally and then Sally gets cancer. It's a he said, she said, uh, two perspectives, one from the caregiver, one from the patient. And it's a love story, it's drama, it's, you know, quirky, it's what happened to us and how we, our story hopefully will help other couples going through well, the same situation. I want to say congratulations on conquering probably what most people think is the scariest three words in the English language, you have cancer. And it has been such a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. And I hope you'll come on the podcast again, because we haven't even halfway finished love, this conversation. I know. We just got yeah. started. No, I'd love to keep in touch with you. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much Perfect. for reaching out. And I see our paths definitely crossing. For sure. Again. Thank you so, so much. So, ladies, please visit Jennifer's website. Her book is fantastic. And it's true. Everybody needs a Larry. Even Diane Gilman might need a Larry. <laughs> Signing over and out. Until next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at the Diane Gilman or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review. 
and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old.